Straight off the plane from Miami for Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is In the Trenches, where I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and E.J. Wilson. Guys, it's the Tar Heels winning on the road as underdogs against the Hurricanes 27-24 on Saturday. Carolina moves to 2-0 in conference play. They stay perfect there. Let's get right into it. EJ, what were your thoughts watching that game? My thoughts were that I, I feel like some of the things that we did well in the Virginia Tech game definitely carried over this game. We were definitely physical. Uh, we, we we had a presence at the line of scrimmage, which honestly I was a little worried about with Raven Hassock not playing. But that kind of goes into my second my, my second takeaway is that I think we're developing some really nice depth within our um, defensive line, especially within our front seven. Of course, there, there there's going to be any drop off when you have two guys like Cedric Gray and uh, Power Echoes in there playing. Of course, there's going to be some talent drop off, but overall. All, I think that we have a nice rotation of, of people coming to the game and not just people who are serviceable, but we have guys going in the game that can make plays. I mean, I was I, I was very impressed by what, what I saw up front. Yeah, we're la- we're still lacking a little bit in the pass rush game, but I mean, it's still encouraging to see us starting to consistently getting back to stopping the run because as I said on this pod for years, and especially during this season, stopping the run really sets an attitude and it really makes it for, hard for the offense to really execute, execute their game plan like they want to. So I was definitely happy about that. Um, but the uh, I, I, positivity pod, I, I have to steer it a little bit towards the not so negative, but I'll, I'll just say not non-productive. That's one of my words I learned in therapy, productive and non-productive, productive actions. <laughs> it's very, if you would have told me uh, that we gave up 42 rushing yards and we still had over 500 yards of total offense given up, I would not have believed in you. I mean, I, I don't know if, uh, if Mr. Van Dyke, uh, if, if he maybe summoned some old Dick Van Dyke luck in there or something because the guy looked like a Heisman candidate yesterday. And and I'm frankly, I'm sick of us making quarterbacks look this good. Um, I will say that though I don't think it was more so us um, on defense I think this guy just played out of his mind I mean you heard uh, before the game as I watched the telecast they were talking about all these technical issues that he doesn't have and it always seems like a quarterback's going to get those technical issues and all those reads kind of washed out when they play us but all in all I mean if, if we're playing this type of defense if, if we can give up 500 yards what the important part was the amount of points that we gave up um, we, we only gave up 24 points our offense wasn't clicking like it was supposed to but but what was really encouraging to me is that we showed that we can have their back when they're not flowing like they're supposed to. Drake May, he still had a good game yesterday. Um, he wasn't efficient as we we known him to be, but I mean, we kind of expected this game. And this is gonna if this is gonna be his quote unquote worst game of the season. Shoot, I'll take it. I mean, <laughs> I still will three take touchdowns it. and three hundred yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'll take that. I mean, I mean that, that that's a shabby day in the office for that guy. But I mean, it, it's kind of the play that we come to expect from him. So overall, I think that this is a great team game. There are there things that we need to clean up. Yeah, but I'm always happy with the win. I'm happy with being 2-0 in the ACC. Defense looked a lot like the – Vip can speak to this, the 2015 team and, and yeah. those those Chiswick defenses where, you know, between the green zones, right, so we're talking like, you know, the 35 to the 35, mm-hmm. they were, uh, you know, it was just chunk play, chunk play, chunk play, chunk play, and then you get into the green zone, shores up a little bit, and then you get in the red zone and it gets real tight and they mm-hmm. get real and they get real good. That's what that – when people say Ben don't break defense, that's usually the hallmark of a, you know, Ben don't break defense. If you want to use that cliche, that's what those Chiswick defenses look like his first go around. That's exactly. what they looked a lot like yesterday. 
exactly. Yeah, that, that was that was my main point in my takeaway video where exactly I even mentioned the 2015 team. This team has to live with being tough near the red zone when the when the field condenses. You got that yesterday um, with the turnover on downs. You got it when Cedric Gray punched one out because for the most part, it is so hard for a team to go 70 plus yards on those 10, 15 play drives where essentially what the Carolina defense is, is banking on is them being tough and then Miami making a mistake. And when you put teams in, in positions like that, um, and you do get tough in the red zone, you do have success where I, I think the Carolina defense was a lot better than the box score might indicate. Yeah, I thought and, defensive line did a really good job of like when they couldn't get home on the yeah. pass rush, which I'll, I'll say this, our ends actually were doing a pretty good job oh, yeah. of getting upfield. And, and you know, there's offensive lineman wisdom is this. You can, you can widen a pocket two ways. You can widen it vertically or you can widen it horizontally. Okay, well, what – what happens when you try to widen it vertically, which is what I think their tackles started trying to do, and I could tell based on at least Miami's right tackle set, mm-hmm. the way he was setting back as hard and as fast as he was set back vertically, straight back, they were just trying to create pocket. They were trying to create a, a vertical wide pocket so that Van Dyke could maybe leak out a little bit and make a play after you know, reestablishing the pocket somewhere two or three yards away. That's what they were mm-hmm. trying to do once they realized that guys like Keemon Rucker, Des Evans were fast mm-hmm. enough to get the edge on them. Um, and and what what ultimately happens there though is if you have defensive ends that recognize that's happening, which I think is what ultimately our defensive line did yesterday, is they can start cutting that edge short. So if you try to widen it by by taking it vertical, you actually make it really super skinny and make it hard for a guy to breathe. Um, so there was pressure yesterday, although it didn't result in a lot of sacks. But the one thing I thought the defensive line did a really really good job of was getting their hands up when they didn't get home. When they didn't get a hit or a pressure or a hurry, they got their hands up and they tipped a bunch of passes. And Van Dyke's not a short guy. Like this isn't a, you know, for Panthers fans, this isn't a Baker Mayfield situation, right? Van Dyke's a a, a prototype NFL quarterback. We're still getting our hands up, tipping passes, and they were just getting lucky. So when Taylor talks about defense look better than the box score would tell you, some of that is those tip passes that were just fluttering into guys' hands and just falling in the right spot. Under normal circumstances, that would be a tip drill, and those would be interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carolina's defense will, you know, will figure that out. But clearly, they had a um, they had a mandate from the coaching staff that if you don't get home, start getting your hands up, and it worked. So well, we, we've been saying that over the last couple of weeks too. I mean, yeah. not only Mr. Ruckus today, uh, yesterday, getting the tip for the interception, but Mr. Vohasic last week and, and, and a couple of weeks before that. I mean, you see these guys as you mentioned, these tackles. Their jobs are really to come in and compress the pocket and get in the quarterback's face, as Mike was mentioning, different ways of stretching uh, of stretching the pocket horizontally and vertically. And our guys are doing a really good job. Do we have a bunch of guys that are going to go out there going to get you ten sacks? season no we don't but do we have some guys who can play discipline tough and physical and know when to get their hands up yeah we do so we don't have to lead the country in sacks but if we're getting those tip passes and getting in the quarterback's face then we're going to be successful I didn't show much yesterday but I think in the future uh with, with, with that type of defensive line pressure I think we can be very successful and yeah. Taylor I guess we, we'll, we'll let you get some words out here we're trying to carry you a little bit because uh, <laughs> for those at home Taylor is Taylor's coming into the pod straight from the fountain blue straight from the club straight from the club <laughs> to the plane to the pod uh, from Miami, so he, he might be a little little jet lagged. I remember <laughs> running on fumes right now. Yeah. Story, a quick story time when I was in uh, when I was in Canada, um, which I don't advertise because uh, I'm I'm a red blooded American and Canada sucks. But when I was in Canada for my little time, uh, 
we, we Brian Brown was one of our backups. Jeremiah Masoli was another one of our backups. And I remember me, Brian, Jeremiah, a few other guys all went out. We were in Montreal and we all, uh, after we played the Alouettes, we all went out to the Montreal bars after because they didn't close till five o'clock in the morning. And our train was at 6 a.m. back to Hamilton, Ontario, which is where we were. And, um, and we stayed out all night long. I remember getting back to the hotel around five o'clock in the morning. We had just eaten some poutine at some diner, which is disgusting, by the way. What? Uh, I'm glad we don't serve poutine here in the States. I love it. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I bet you do. And we finally get back to the hotel. The sun is just now coming up and we're sitting on a park bench and I didn't know where I was or what was going on. Not from the alcohol, but from the sleep deprivation and the dehydration. And I got on that train and we had a three, four hour train ride back to Hamilton. By the time I got back to Hamilton, I crashed. So Taylor, I don't know how mm-hmm. you're doing this podcast right now, yeah. because that Never night did. I went out with Masoli and Brian Brahm and those guys. Uh, we had a lot of fun in Canada and I was not functional the next day. Yeah, as much as I would have loved to have been at, you know, Live Nightclub. Uh, you don't live in Club Live? No. <laughs> the, the, by the time I left Hard Rock Stadium, it was probably 11. By the time I get back to where I'm staying, it's about 12. I get the Uber to the airport at 4 a.m. Uh, you know, somebody's got to do it, though. Yeah, you know, people remember got, the Somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. Exactly. <laughs> you know, for, from a Carolina football standpoint, the city of Miami has been real boon or bust for us. I mean, it's the Carolina, the, the city of Miami almost co- almost cost us the football program, but it also has been the source of a lot of wins. Yeah. I so forgot like, about that, man. God. I mean, yeah. dude, I don't and, know. Real, real love hate relationship with the city of Miami. And I mean, you're literally. having a love hate relationship with sleep right now, Taylor. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Mike, before we get to your takeaways, EJ, a point you made. Those tip passes where um, they were just finding ways into Miami, it had that feel where you're like, oh, no, like, yeah, this these are the breaks you normally get when a team is going to pull off some kind of miracle like Miami. Then then you have the whole onside kick debacle where onside kicks. We got lucky. I I don't know what the official number is for onside kicks. It. Teams have to recover onside kicks at like a 95%. But Carolina, it feels like 50-50 every time that onside. Oh, yeah. did, you, did you see what happened in the Oklahoma State game? This is something that I didn't understand. I, I, I didn't. I should have. I mean, I don't look at the NCAA football rule book, right? I mean, but a, I mean, a lawyer could figure this out. There, the rule on kickoffs for fair catches is you as long as you make a fair catch signal, okay, the ball is yours. Assuming you catch it, don't muff it. Or if the, you know, so the ball goes straight up in the air off the tee, you make a fair catch, ball is yours, assuming you catch it, don't muff it. Same rule applies if the ball is immediately hits the ground, goes vertical into the air. They're describing an onside kick, goes vertical into the air as if it had come off of a kicking tee. Mm-hmm. And you make a fair catch sign and catch it. Kid for Oklahoma State on a, um, on what looked like, who were they playing? Uh, was it Texas Tech? I think was it was it Texas yesterday? Tech. It was yesterday. Texas Tech yeah, Texas kicked Tech. a surprise. They scored early, then they kicked a surprise onside kick. It looked like they recovered it, but on replay, it showed one of the one of the defensive backs that was up on the front line saw the onside kick, made a quick fair catch signal with his hands, and then Texas Tech was the first team to touch it. So it was actually Oklahoma State's ball where he signaled for the fair catch. Oh wow! Or where the ball was recovered, I should say, which was right where he signaled for the. That's fair a catch. wrinkle. That's a wrinkle. Carolina That's a wrinkle. Has to implement. 
Yeah, but, but, I, th- I, th- I think for Carolina, they need to start having everybody on the hands team start waving for a fair catch as soon as they see, as soon as they see them on like for a traffic control at an airport. That's absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> the airport you just came from. Yeah. But my, my bigger point there was, you know, the tip passes are happen, happening. The, the onside kick is happening. And I'm like, I'm sitting in the press box like, man, it can never be easy for Carolina football. Nope. But I love it. I, I, I live in the mud. I live. I want to be in the mud. <laughs> That's where we operate, man. That is where we they, operate. When, they, when, when, when we had, and I was t- telling Taylor this off, off air, we'll talk about it here. But like my only big concern is um, clock management, which is, has been a, not, not an issue, but there's been some questionable clock management the last couple of years. And we saw some yesterday um, and I'm sure there were reasons for it. There are analytics reasons for the reason why we did some things, which I don't necessarily agree with all the time. Um, but when they scored just before the half, when they, when they, when we threw that interception after pressing with 25 seconds to go before the half and getting the ball coming out the second half, we press Drake throws a pick. They come in, they score, they, they kick a field goal. They cut it to within, what was it? Four at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cut it to within four. Um, they scored 10 points in like 20 seconds. Uh, I just jumped up and yelled, Carolina football deserves a death penalty to bring it back in 10 years. And then later on in the game in the second half, we come out, our defense gets a couple stops. We score. Then defense shores up for the whole game for the rest of the game. And Giovanni gets, it was Giovanni Biggers got the pick to end the game. Uh, Boykins. Yeah. Boykins. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm jumping up and down. I'm yelling Carolina football, (laughs) Carolina football, five and one. So like you guys, like I'm living in like these highs and lows. Like we need the death penalty. Last case of emotion. We need the death penalty, and also we want Bama. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, we didn't want South Carolina last year, so let's, we're, we're taking – Kentucky Vegas. didn't want South we Carolina want yesterday. Duke. We just want Duke. But we want Duke. Next Saturday, 8 mm-hmm. p.m. from That's Wallace right. Wade. Uh, Mike, what were your overarching themes watching the offense um, from Hard Rock? And it was an offense that didn't have their best performance. We're used to seeing them being a top-10 offense, but – uh, what did you kind of see there? Uh, pass protection was pretty good overall. Um, it, we had, we had some pressures, we had some hits. Some of that stuff is on the quarterback. Um, I thought pass protection overall was much better. We handled twists better yesterday from what I could see. Um, we still, you know, we still had some issues. I do want to shout out Corey Gaynor. I thought Corey Gaynor had a, had a great game. He had a, he had a couple of plays, you know, he wants back. But overall, I thought Corey Gaynor played a pretty good game against his old team uh, at the center spot, so he deserves a shout-out. Uh, but, you know, again, my, like I just said, my, other, my, my big takeaway is it's not so much players and play execution. It's um, – and not play calling. It's just time management and understanding the situation. You know, we're down there, and I understand we want to run a tempo offense, and that's how we keep defenses on their heels. That's our bread and butter. We don't want to change who we are as an offense when we get down in the tight red. But situational football, if you look at the end of the game – we left at least – I counted at least one minute of clock time we could have burnt off. So we were snapping the ball at 20 seconds. We had 40-second clocks three times in a row. We snapped the ball at least twice, I think three – once with 17 seconds and twice with 20 seconds left right down there in the red zone. And um, we could have burned off an extra minute. And I believe we scored down there too at that time. So we got some points. But we could have burned off an extra minute with points. Miami would not have had – we, we wouldn't have been in the onside kick situation that we were in. We wouldn't have been biting our nails at the end of the game um, when Boykins had to pick off a pass to win the game. We wouldn't have been in, the, in that spot. Uh, Miami wouldn't have had 
two bites of that apple at the end of the game, they would have only had one. So um, the game would have been over after the onside kick recovery is my point. We wouldn't have had to put together a drive where they have three timeouts. We'd have to get two first downs in order to end the game. We don't, we wouldn't be in that situation if we just burn more time off the clock. I understand our identity is high tempo. Our identity is pace um, and, the, and timing in terms of the you know play selection and stuff. Every single play has specific timing and the players are used to a certain rhythm. I get all that. But when you're in that situation, you're on the road, you have the lead, you're in the tight red zone, you have the opportunity to burn the clock down a whole extra minute off the clock and get us down to uh, a minute 20 instead of two minutes and 20 or whatever it was. Uh, you want to take that opportunity and do that because the less time they have to make a splash, the better for them, um, especially an offense that's throwing the ball for 500 yards or 450 yards, whatever it was. Um, clearly doing whatever they want. You're going to put them in a two-minute drill where all they're going to do is throw the ball you may not want to give them, you know, that luxury um, given the performance that Tyler Van Dyke had for the whole day. So, you know, there was that, there were some other, you know, clock management situations. I was uh, a, a little not concerned with, but I, I had questions about um, going for it, chasing points. Another thing, you know, that's, they talk about Mac is real big on analytics. Um, I, I think Mac's been doing this long enough to where he, and I don't say, I'm not saying he's handcuffed to analytics because I mean, he's a, Hall of Fame head coach, he knows what he's doing. But um, for my for my purposes, we don't, you know, going forward on fourth down, I think is more, or I should say the frequency with which this team goes forward on fourth down is more like, it's cl probably closer to the reasoning, at least the rationale for it. It's closer to really internally, if you want the truth, what we talked about last week on the pod, which is, you know, Mac has concerns with the defense, if they're out there for too long, is going to give up too many points. And if the offense isn't out there long enough, eating up clock, scoring on every drive, we really might not have a chance to win the game. I think the last two weeks have shown us that our defense is starting to figure things out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I understand why there might be that hesitancy, but I think the reasoning up to this point why we've gone for fourth down as much as we have is not because of analytics, not because that's what the data tells you. It's because of the gut telling you that offense is to score points if we're going to win games. And in order to do that, you got to have the ball and you got to convert fourth downs and keep a drive going. So I think that's why we've been doing it. All that to say... If you're, in the, if you're in the red zone and you have an opportunity to get away with three points on the road and expand a game to a 10-point lead versus going for it on, on fourth down where your first down is only three or four yards from the goal line. So really every shot's got to be into the end zone because you're not most likely not going to convert a first down, have first and goal from the three or the four. What's going to happen is you're going to convert and score a touchdown from that close. Um, so when the, you know, the odds of that happening are extremely tight given that the tight red zone, the defense compresses, it's harder to score, it's harder to advance the football down there take the points, make it a 10 point game, which is a two, a two score game instead of risking, not scoring, not, not getting any points, which is what ultimately happened to us in that situation. Um, it's only a one touchdown lead. And now you're kind of fighting and scrapping for your life because Tyler Van Dyke's throwing the ball all over the field and kind of doing what he wants in the passing game. Um, those situations, you know, if it is analytics telling you to do that, you got to scrap it, um, take the points, don't go chasing points. Don't go chasing touchdowns. Don't chase. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Like just that was go. in my head the second yep. you said that. Yep. yep. <laughs> don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to, Mac. Conventional wisdom is conventional for a reason. It works. Take the points when you're down there on fourth down on the road. Extend it to a two-score lead. The reason why it's conventional is because it's been proven time and again. That's why it is conventional wisdom. Stick to conventional wisdom sometimes. Uh, but look, a win is a win and we can second, you know, we're here second guessing things after a win. It feels a lot better than second guessing things after a loss. Yeah, sure does. <laughs> a, a few points um, 
off of some of the things that you said. One with the can you picking- parse all that out? Because I talked for about ten minutes, yeah. and I apologize yeah. to all the listeners having to listen. <laughs> Having to listen to my, my terrible voice for 10 minutes. And they're turning it on 1.5 speed. And th- now it's they're pressing the button back. So now it's slowed back down. Um, a couple points. One with the analytics. I think one thing that Carolina might have to start factoring in is that it seems like Noah Burnett is, is a weapon for this team. Like he, this isn't like a, a normal college kicker. It seems like where you go in and you say, go kick it. Maybe it's going to go in. Maybe it won't. For the most part, he he does seem pretty consistent. I know one of his field field goals was like a a nineteen yarder, um, but for the most part this year, he I can't really... kick a nineteen yarder. So yeah. good for him. Yeah, for we've had most... situations where we didn't have a kicker who could kick nineteen yards. That yeah. happened, and then he turned into an all conference kicker. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is. Um, Super cool video from UNC football to put out after the game where you see the emotional moment in the locker room um, with Corey Gaynor and, and the team kind of embracing him. A lot of the players say like he, he was essentially tearing up when when talking to them in the locker room after that game. So, you know how much it means to him. And then the other thing I was going to bring up really quickly was the the pass block grades, since you mentioned Carolina doing a good job in pass block, it was awesome. Richards, 87.8. Pretty good uh, against a really uh, good Miami uh, defensive yeah. line. Yeah. Uh, about as good as you could get for a pass block grade. Uh, Spencer Rowland, 76.6. Corey Gaynor, 69.4. Uh, nice. William, William Barnes, it's going to be worth keeping an eye on him this week to see um, if he returns to practice. His was a 63.9. Ed Montalus was a 43.2. And then Jonathan Adorno replacing William Barnes um, was 31.6. So that's going to be something definitely worth keeping an eye on. Yeah. And, Mon- um, you know, Monolith, you know, in Monolith's defense, he does a lot of things that are really good. I mean, I see him, I see him do some stuff like in the run game. Sometimes I'm like, man, I, like he shows flashes where he's like, you know, you understand why he's a starter. Like mm-hmm. he does some, he does some really good things and he's a big body. Like him and William Barnes are just big guards. Um, and, and Monolith, I mean, he's, he, it, again, he's, he's a guy, it's not for, it's not for lack of trying. I think he's got, he's got just some technique things that can be cleaned up even during the season. Um, and some things he's worked on, you know, that have been cleaned up. So, you know, folks listen and don't let the, the PFF grade of whatever in the thirties for his pass block. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't write him off because of that. These are just little things that can be corrected. He did a lot of really good things yesterday and does a lot of really good things every week. I, I understand why he's a starter and I think he should be. And then EJ, we mentioned it, Tyler Van Dyke. He throws for 495 yards, 95, 495. Yeah. I thought it was 450. Okay. I was wrong. He was very close to 500 yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cedric they only Gray, scored, and they only scored 24 points. Yeah, then don't break defense. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> but the the reason why it feels like UNC won that game from a defensive perspective is they did make Miami one dimensional. They held uh, the mm-hmm. Hurricanes to 1.8 yards per carry. What did you notice up front, especially with that goal line stand where? Miami has a first and goal from the two, and Carolina stops them. One, the first down was one yard, then second and one, third and one, fourth and one. Carolina gets a huge stop. I mean, aggressive thuds, aggressive swarming in the run game is what I saw early. I mean, you tell me, EJ. 
I, I mean, I saw the same thing, and, I, and I, it kind of goes back to after um, I think it was the FAMU game where Jason Staples and I were uh, re- reviewing the touchdown run that um, I think yeah, it was the FAMU game where the, the one touchdown that they did score. Our guys, our, our footwork was bad, our pad level was high, but you're not seeing that anymore. You're seeing our defensive linemen stand guys up, move guys back, have gap integrity, and, and that really is, I, I think, the main thing to why why we're able to make them one dimensional. I mean, our guys are flying down, power equals Cedric Gray. Those guys are coming downhill and I was it kind of worried me a little bit because of how aggressively they were playing the run I thought it maybe kind of may get us caught up in some uh, play action passes which it did but we were able to kind of stave off some of the long shot passes and, and some of the big plays that went for touchdowns so I mean these guys are just really I think they're finally really internalizing the, the the technique and the style of defense that they're playing now. I mean, coach, I mean, after that, after the players meeting that they had, I mean, things have changed substantially. And I don't mean where we're going out there, we're getting all these turnovers, we're shutting people down. But the main thing that you can, because football is about controlling what you can control, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And the one thing that we could control is our effort, attitude, and physicality. And that's what we've been bringing to the table lately. I mean, I, I think that those guys, last week I, I talked about them putting something on tape and being able to go back and look at that and say hey we can do this I think that we saw that I mean they ran the ball what 20 24 times for 42 yards I mean I'm I I don't care who you are what level you're playing on that is absolutely shutting down the run game and and it forced them to abandon it and and like we were kind of talking about earlier like some of those tip passes that our defensive linemen were getting that just happened to fall in Miami's hand now that we're seeing that on tape our DB and our secondary is going to be in a position to now get those and be able to make um to make uh, big plays on on some of those tip passes. So I think that we're really coming along nicely. I mean, we've talked about years uh, for years on this podcast, the improvement between games one and two, and then from two and three, and then the gradual improvement um, through the rest of the season. But for our guys, I think we've, we've seen the biggest improvements between games four and five, uh, leaving that Notre Dame game, going into that Virginia Tech game, and now seeing the continuity going on. And I mean, it's the perfect time for it to happen, right when we're in the heart of our ACC schedule. So um, I I honestly look forward to, to seeing these guys continue to do this. And with uh, Rava has it coming back into this, coming back into the mix. Guys continually getting healthier. Guys continually to, to to lock down on their keys. I think it's only going to improve. I mean, you're, you're starting to see Kimon Ruckus, Mr. Ruckus, get in there and get mixed up even on, on a little bit more of other running downs. And as we've mentioned, the guy has incredible hands, incredible leverage. I mean, he does everything that you want to see from a defensive end that, that from from a well balanced defensive end that can rush the passer and play the run. Um, some of those guys, Hester, uh, Travis Shaw, uh, those guys are. Really really get in the mix and it was really encouraging to see miles murphy out there making some yeah. plays i know i game. mean exactly he had a great game i mean that's a guy that we were expecting honestly i, I thought maybe this may have been his last year at carolina because of the way that, he, that he's been playing last year and how he's being better and now with him coming off that injury you're starting to see the miles murphy that we're used to playing that we're used to seeing so i mean you talk about not only do we have big bodies that we can put out there we have big talented bodies who can go out there and make plays so i mean I, i'm just really excited uh to see that i'm excited to see the depth that we're developing but as long as we're physical up front um we can stop. I feel like we can, we can play with any team uh, in our conference. Yeah. We aren't getting the sacks, but that pushback that we're getting on the runs translating and we're getting those tips. We're, we're, we're getting in quarterback spaces and we're making them uncomfortable. So um, it's really translating uh, all over the field. And 
I, I just I'm, I'm really I'm really uh, want to see what's going to happen um, against Duke. I think this is the opponent that um, that it's always going to play their best. Uh, kind of think about like App State or if we're playing the ECU. No disrespect to Duke, they are ACC school, but at the end of the day, I kind of still look at them as our little brother. Um, so I definitely think that these guys are going to want to go in and assert some of some dominance and kind of make up for some of the. I'll say mishaps that we've had against Duke in the past uh, on some of these Saturdays. So if we keep bringing the physicality, we keep developing these players and um, we can tighten it up on the back end because our safeties really had a rough day yesterday. Um, and I think we, we kind of talked about in the beginning um, how some of those PFF grades were really surprising us. But I think that once we clean some things up as far as run fits, as well as pass fits and um, with our safeties and the rest of our secondary, I think this defense is only going to get better. I mean, it's, it's hard not to get better when you're 116th in the nation. Yeah. I mean, we got, we got, I mean, I'm looking at the schedule here too. I mean, we've got not, I mean, not, not looking too far ahead. The next game is the most important game. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it's a, it's a cliche, but it's true for a reason. You don't want to, you don't want to look past Duke. I mean, it's a night game. They're going to be fired up. It's a rivalry game. And then we've got we've got what a bye and then a Friday night game against Pitt. That's gross. And then oh, it's always something with that Pitt game. It's a Friday night. Friday night is for high school varsity football. I'm sorry. They, they always I'm, they always get off my lawn. That, they always smack that Pitt game in the middle of the week. Get and off it, my lawn. Thursdays is for one to two marquee college football games and JV high school. Friday is for varsity high school football. Saturday is for college. Sunday and Monday is for the NFL. Get off my lawn. But then we've got – so then we go go Pitt on Friday. That's a toss-up. I thought early in the year, I thought Pitt was – I I also hate to be the bearer of bad news. The Pitt game's on a Saturday. I was about to say, that's a Saturday. (laughs) My birthday's the day before, man. My birthday's the 20th on that Friday. Pitt's a Saturday. Pitt's a Saturday? It's October 28th on this schedule. It's the 29th. It's the 29th. You, oh, good. Whew. Okay, what confused good. me was I knew the game was in Chapel Hill, and I knew Carolina didn't have any Friday games. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Okay, so we got another bye coming up. Then we got Pitt. You know, we know Mac has, since he's been at Carolina, we've had trouble. We've had trouble off bye weeks for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. The last time we were successful was 08 against Georgia Tech. I can't remember the last time we came off a bye and won a football game, except for 2015. Was Rutgers? Rutgers was was Rutgers was was that 08 or when was that? Because that, that was, was coming 08. off. Of, yep, yep. So yeah, that year. Yep, coming off of bye week. Okay, um, and then we got and then we're and then we got Virginia, and then we got Wake Forest. And in Virginia, I mean, that, that's another game you want to talk about defensive backs having to shore things up and quarterbacks having 500 yard games. I mean, that's Virginia looked like boo boo yesterday, but you know they got they got a quarterback who can play. So. You know how quarterbacks feel about our defense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can run and throw all they want. But if I mean, if our run game is short up, I mean, Taylor made yeah. the point early on. Like, if you make you make an offense one dimensional, and you said this point too, like you make them one dimensional, Nate. Okay, fine. You throw the ball for five hundred yards. Like, you came away with twenty four points, and the reason you came away with twenty four points is because you can't do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. So if all we have to do is really, you know, if all we got to do is worry about one thing we're going to limit the amount of points you score. And then our, our offense can score virtually at will, um, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to, which is why we press before the, before the end of the first half, which is my other clock management issue. I mean, don't, when you got the ball coming out of the second half and you got a lead, don't go pressing before the, before the half, just take a knee and go into the halftime, get the ball coming out. One would yeah. say they shouldn't chase that waterfall. Don't chase that waterfall. Please stick to the rivers <laughs> and the lakes you're used to. Deja vu. Yeah, stick, <laughs> stick to the rivers and the lakes you're used to, man. Uh, yeah, with the um, 
the Carolina defense, I, I think they did do a good job. Jason Staples made made me laugh with the tweet that he had. It was, uh, welcome to the 2022 college football season, UNC's defensive line. Uh, and it was on that goal line stand, and he tweeted, Miles Murphy with the low pad level and burst through the gap. Great first two steps with power. He wasn't the only one. Keyshawn Silver moved the line mm-hmm. of scrimmage. Several others with good pad level, physicality, technique. If these guys start doing this, look out. Mm-hmm. Man, EJ, I'll tell you what. Some people don't like us. A lot more people don't like Jason. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think Jason kind of feeds into that. And that's why I love working with Jason. He's, he's going to say what's on us. Now. He, he is a villain. He's such I a love villain. him, though. I don't want people to dislike me. He just doesn't care. <laughs> He's inside. He's inside Carolina. Skip Bayless. The, the, the guy just stirs the pot. <laughs> and Mike, as uh, he's skip without the body. For, for the uh, sorry, Jason. Not many. Not many you're beautiful. You're beautiful it. to me, Jason. Not many people have that skip physique. <laughs> or that skip paycheck. Yeah. Jason ain't got that either. Uh, but Mike, as more time kind of passes, the more it looks like that when healthy. Caleb Hood is Carolina's. I've been saying that for a couple of years now. Yeah, running back play. Yeah, it's a bit surprising because the narrative out of camp was, you know, Omar in Hampton, George Petaway. But Hood, if he stays healthy, you know, he goes for over 100 yards. He does it in the run game. He does it out of the backfield as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a, a pretty good pass block rate from what I remember. Uh, yeah, Which is seven- an improvement for him. 79.1 in the pass block. Uh, he Big was improvement Car- for him. Yeah, he was Carolina's best uh, graded offensive player. What did you kind of see from him and his potential in this Carolina offense? Uh, you know, Amar and Hampton and George Petaway are both going to be fantastic running backs for us. But right now, um, I think Caleb differentiates himself with field vision. And he can just – he doesn't, he doesn't see things the way that like a Michael Carter and a Javante saw it. He just, he doesn't, not but not many do. people do. Okay. <laughs> um, but he does see things develop quicker. And this is an experience thing. Like to the extent George is having this issue, Amarian, I think is having this issue just from what I can see. Um, he's able to power his way through other human beings, which is, you know, where his production's coming from. Cause he's just an absolute tractor trailer back there. Um, but where Caleb's differentiating, differentiating himself is that he sees he sees things develop quicker, most likely just because he's got game snaps and live bullets under his belt. And he, he sees it and he, he understands, you know, schematically what their what the goal is and where the cutback lanes will be. So he anticipates them opening better than some of the young guys right now. They'll get there. But Caleb's already there. So that allows him to be more productive in the run game, rushing the football. And, um, and that's why you're seeing him out there. And he's also, I mean, he's also a load. I mean, he's a big guy. Like he's, he's another one that he's got sneaky speed, but he'll also run through you if he has to. Uh, my concern with him is always, and has been pass protection first and foremost and ball security. Number two, um, he took care of both yesterday. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, he's the good news is, is that with a guy like him, you know, Caleb gets dinged up a little bit and, you know, we're able to spell him some because we have so many good backs in that room. If British Brooks was there, we'd have another one. Um, you know, we've got, by my count, five running backs in that room that could, that could play, you know, if we handed them the football, six maybe. I mean, you got DJ Jones too. I keep forgetting about DJ. I mean, you got six running backs in that room. If they're all healthy, they can all play and they can all be highly effective and would be a starter or 
one of two featured backs on any team. You know, we just have an embarrassment of riches in that room. Caleb's obviously in that group. So we're able to spell him a little bit with other guys, um, which should keep him healthy and keep him, you know, productive, you know, much longer. I hope he came out of this Miami game a little unscathed, um, but we're really going to need him for the pit game. Um, we have enough bodies. I think, you know, even if he is a little banged up um, and he can't go as many, he can't take as many carries against Duke, you know, we'll really need him against, against Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I just, I think that, I think that what he brings to the table is uh, maturity. He obviously has experience. And because of both of those things, he sees plays develop. He understands how plays will likely develop and can anticipate, you know, where a hole will be or where a cutback lane will be. And that allows him to be super productive, you know, rushing the football. And, um, and he's also pretty reliable in the pass game too, for um, catching the football. Now that he seems like he's started to clean up some pass protection issues and clearly ball security, he didn't have, from what I could see a single drop or even a ball come loose yesterday. Um, you know, I think, I think he's a real, a, a real special asset we have. Yeah. Especially in the past game, he seems like such a security blanket for Drake may where it's like, you know, a third and eight and you're starting to think, Oh man, Carolina's going to have to punt this ball. He finds Caleb hood and Caleb hood gets nine. If it's a oh, third, Caleb, I mean, Caleb comes from third good and stock nine, too. he gets 10. Yeah. He comes from good stock too. I mean, he comes from, you know, another, uh, his dad, his dad was somewhat of a legend here in Carolina too. Mm-hmm. Earl hood. So yeah, you have a, you have a bunch of legacy guys. You really do on this Carolina team, uh, Drake, May. which is which is nice. Yeah, that, that's the Mac effect. That that is that is the coach. That is the Mac Brown effect. I mean, I mean, there's a reason why when he was making uh, that he was convinced to come back after going out and talking to his older players. Yeah, it was the love, but he also saw some four and five star talent in those living rooms when he went to see those guys. So <laughs> makes sense. Everybody wins, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, that is funny. If if Caleb Hood was. UNC's best offensive player. I think the best defensive player, EJ, Cedric Ray, he shows up time and time again. He he makes clutch plays for the defense from the forced fumble to keeping the ball carrier inbounds late, which really set Miami off in a panic before that interception when they realized that clock was under 15 seconds at was that, that point. Was that Cedric or was that Power Eccles that made that tackle at the end of the game? That was great. That was great, yeah. Where he, like, spun, where he's like spun Kept the him guy. in bounds? Yeah, mm-hmm. kept him in bounds. You know, he, he just makes winning plays, and he's oh, proof yeah. that when you play hard, good things happen. That was one of the first things he said in his post-game press conference yesterday. Uh, 15 tackles, no missed tackles. In run defense, he graded out 87.9. Tackling, he graded out 87.3. How do you begin to put into words Cedric Ray's importance to this defense and his performance yesterday or Saturday against Miami? I think that Cedric Gray is what we would have saw if Chaz Surratt would have played linebacker if he was a true linebacker, this guy, I mean, I, I think the perfect play that can put not only his importance to our defense, the type of player he is and to kind of back up his statements for after the game yesterday, they ran a, a wheel route. I mean, he had his eyes on his luggage. He knew where he was going to cover, but I mean, he's covering a running back. The guy goes down the field. I think it's maybe a 15 to 20 yard game, but Hey, there you see 33 making a touchdown save and tackle. And they, I don't think that they scored on that drive. So, I mean, that that when, when you're out there in the heat of a game, when, when it's 80% humidity in Miami and you have the, the, the wherewithal to make that play and keep that guy in bounds, I, I know I wouldn't have had that. I would have just been trying to get the guy down. So, I mean, this guy's a really smart player. His his discipline technique and his knowledge of the game goes along with, it, that, with his athleticism 
to the point where I really can't tell you what his best feature is. I mean, the guy comes downhill, he plays with it's physicality. It, it it has to be the smile. Most a lot of linebackers, a lot of linebackers don't smile, but linebackers who do smile probably have a little bit off uh, upstairs. I used to tell people when I was out there playing, I didn't talk trash. I just laughed a lot because people didn't think you probably have something clinically wrong with you. So, but no, that guy. <laughs> The guy reminds me of another 33, a Holly Taylor guy that I played with. I mean, he embodies everything and stands for what I feel like everything that Holly stood for. He's a fast guy. He's a physical guy. Holly was, even though he was one of the smallest, he was probably the strongest defensive in and defensive lineman that we had on the team. I mean, and Mike can attest to that. The guy has, has not only has, has 40 records, he has, he has, oh, I have a squad record. I'm not going to give him that one. But he, he, is a, he's a, he, he, he's a pretty strong guy. And I, and I think that he always showed up every Saturday. Even when he made a mistake, he didn't get down on himself. And that's the same thing that I see from Cedric. I really think that he's having an all-ACC all ACC, uh, type of season. And no matter what, how bad our defense plays, I still think that we have the two best linebackers in the ACC. And you're going to have a hard time arguing with me on that. I mean, our, our guy came, uh, what was his name? Dax Hollyfield came into um, last week talking about how the crowd's going to be booing and jeering him and he got exposed uh our guys you, you, you i mean even what, what's the guy who who shall not be named from nc state well that so i had the same thought last night i was watching some of the mm-hmm. state game just to get a preview of what we're going to have from them and i thought imagine if dax hollifield committed because i don't think he ever actually committed to carolina but it was between mm-hmm. us and tech up until the up until the wire mm-hmm. uh peyton was obviously committed and then decommitted to go to state which is a mortal sin but imagine if both of those guys came to Chapel Hill. Those would be your linebackers right now. Dax Hollifield and Peyton Wilson would be your linebackers, not Cedric Gray and Power Eccles, most likely. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I'd be – I think I'm happier with the current situation. As a matter of fact, I know I'm happier with the current situation than I would be with them. Oh, yeah, because those guys are much – these guys are younger than those two, and I still think that they're playing at a high level right now. Well, and, and we... I'll never forget Peyton Wilson getting thrown down by one of our backup offensive linemen. Oh, um, yeah. That guy's it, a menace. Uh, uh, oh man, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm mad. I'm blanking on this. I think it was a kid from uh, kid from West Virginia. He's backup center, 57. Caden Baker, maybe. Caden Baker. I think Caden Baker was the one that threw Kaden? him down. Did you see Kaden at the Baker end of the state yesterday? game when we when we romped them Peyton's freshman year? That's yeah. Did you see Caden Baker yesterday checking in as uh, the eligible? The <laughs> oh eligible yeah, he does that. They get him in the game for that. jersey. I saw that. Everybody yeah. in the press box is like, "Who's 90? Who's the?" White he ran around. We threw the ball to him. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, that. That's the Andre Barbour classic. You remember Andre Barbour? They actually gave him number ninety three as well. He was an offensive tackle, Dude, and we put shoot, him. <laughs> shoot, shoot, put in a play for me on that because remember I was the wing on field goal. But when mm-hmm. I was backing up Garrett Reynolds, I wore uh, I wore eighty two, and I was the wing on field goal. And shoot, put that play in for me against Duke in two thousand eight, and we never got into the red zone, so we could never run it. I remember that. We, we were all waiting for that play, man. I, I actually, I played a little. I borrowed tight. Ed Barham's gloves and like everything. Like I had, a, I made sure I was like ready. I was back <laughs> in my tight end days. Like I, I wasn't leaving anything to chance. I had sticky gloves. I, oh, I yeah. took my knee braces off. Like I was ready. <laughs> we my, never my, got in the red zone. My only glory from playing tight end uh, was when we played Boston. Well, it's not even glory. It's just a story, honestly. We played, uh, we were playing Boston College Luke Keekley's uh, freshman year. And at this oh, point, so I had no yeah. idea who he, who, who he was. So I go out to block this guy, and this oh, guy completely God. stood me up. I mean, I was like, Jesus. I was like, I'm glad I don't have to block this guy all game. And I, I mean, you see where his career went. So I think that um, it's always interesting when you see us big guys coming in to play tight end. I mean, not going to say that we run routes better, but I mean, it's the tapes out there so <laughs> mike last we're more question. appreciative of the routes oh yeah put it that way. <laughs> the last question i have for you mike 
Carolina. Well, I have a question for you, Taylor. Was it hot around the field or in the club last night? It was uh, the the press box. It's it's AC, but the second you step out, you just start sweating. Mm-hmm. What so, about the second you step into the club? Wouldn't know. <laughs> wouldn't know. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but Carolina. Last question I have. Carolina three and zero on the road this year. They are their version of the road warriors. They're two and zero in conference play. Whole position for the coastal division to be the ones representing uh, the coastal. There's gonna be a joke about Carolina on the pole position on uh, Pack Pride later yep. today. Yep. H- how are you feeling through three conference or not three conference games, two conference games, and knowing that Carolina is three and zero on the road, where you know they had lost I think seven straight before this year, so. Where's your kind of overall assessment with where this team is and where this team can go this year? I mean, it seems like I think every game on the schedule from here on out is winnable. Uh, Wake, Wake and Pitt, I think are your toughest games. State is always a toss up. They're a very talented team. I hate, I hate admitting this, but state's a good football team this year. Um, But that game is always a toss up. I mean, again, go back to the Russell Wilson games. That team was boo-boo and they always beat us. So, and we were clearly more talented than they were every single year. So the state game is always a toss-up. I think Pitt and Wake are the toughest football games uh, on the schedule remaining. The letdown game, I think, is either the Virginia or the Duke game. Either of those could be a letdown, and we might split those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if all goes according to plan, I mean, I think this team has the I, – I, I think with this offense, and if the defense continues to play the way they're playing, meaning defense can hold teams to under 27 points, if you can hold teams to under 27 points, this game aside, because I think Miami's defense is pretty good. I think their defensive line is pretty good. I think, and I think Drake just had some brain farts. He'll get that stuff corrected. I think our offense can score more than 30 points every game. And then you make one play in the kicking game, you know, a blocked punt, a missed field goal, you know, a, a made 55 yard, you know, some, something unexpected in the kicking game. And next, and now you, now you've got the game breaking in your, in your favor, I think every single game is certainly winnable. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not predicting we're going 11 and one. All right. But we've beaten two good teams. And if that situation were to play out that we managed to win this, that we managed to win out, we have to have a real conversation about, you know, back in 2015, we said, is the South Carolina loss to open the season, the worst loss in Carolina football history. It it may have been. Um, If this team wins out, with Clemson being down is the Notre Dame game actually the worst loss in Carolina football history, assuming we only have one loss on the schedule going in and we go to the AC championship game. Um, I think that's a very real conversation that could be had at the end of the season. Realistically, I think we probably drop two more games. I don't know which games those are, but I think we probably drop two more games, three more games wouldn't support me but i don't think i mean eight wins i think is realistic at this yeah. point i mean we're already at five um and they've exceeded my expectations um i you know i said after at three and oh and we all did you know let's pump the brakes i mean we've we haven't really played anybody and that was true at the time um we've now beaten two conference teams um we're five and one we're unbeaten the conference and it's a mixed bag of difficulty 
moving forward for the rest of the season. So I think at this point, like I said, you'll probably know what type of team we have after week five. Here we are after week six. I think now you can, you can honestly say that if the defense can keep this up, you have a defense that is bend, don't break, a middling type of defense. You know, like a, we're not you – know, we've got a top ten offense in a lot of respects, um, almost top five in some areas nationally. If we can have a defense that's ranked in the 50s or the 60s as opposed to 126th, in certain categories, if we can be in, if we can if we can get that up to the 50s, 60s, even the 70s. I mean, literally cut the ranking in half. I think, I think this team absolutely could could win out the season, but can definitely win eight games. Yeah, and I think eight games, based on the letdown we saw last year, with a freshman quarterback and new pieces at key positions this year, and a new defensive coordinator in Chiswick, and sort of a revamping of the program uh, internally. I think puts us, you know, here we are again talking about are we ahead of schedule? You know, 20, 2019, 2020, we're talking about are we ahead of schedule with Sam Howell, right? But are we ahead of schedule, you know, from where we should be now? Um, and then we're talking about Drake's second year as a starter and what might that look like because we returned so many pieces. Um, but I think I, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic. This is the roller coaster I talked about earlier with Carolina football, end of the first half we deserve the death penalty, bring it back in 10 years, end of the game. We want Bama, you know, like <laughs> this is, this is the roller coaster, man. Like beginning of the season is like, I don't know. I mean, we probably miss a bowl game. And now it's like, I don't know. Maybe we go to the ACC championship game, you know? So we, it's, it's Carolina football for better, for worse. Like you said, Taylor is boy, it's a ride. It seems like most years it is an absolute ride. And for us being invested in it personally, it's, I've got more gray hair at the end of football season every year since I think I stopped playing than I did when I did play. <laughs> and the only concussions I'm getting are from banging my head against the wall, not other human beings. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, if Carolina can run the table, getting to the ACC championship, I can gotta be, got to be Duke first, but yeah, I can live with the conversation is, is the Notre Dame game. A yeah. bad loss similar to the, the South Carolina game. Oh, not, not a bad loss. Is it the worst the loss worst in loss. program history? Yeah. yeah. I could live with, that scenario, if you tell me I could get that, so I'd sign up for 11 and one and we're, oh, having, yeah, we're having that debate on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a really weird schedule coming in for Carolina. They have six games left. The furthest game is Charlottesville. It's actually the only game that Carolina has remaining that is out of state. But Carolina, um, October 15th, this Saturday at Duke, Wallace Wade Stadium, ACC Network, 8 p.m. kickoff. Guys, appreciate the time today and appreciate everybody watching and listening. Thank you. Yeah, man.